If this world is ruled by demons and monsters, we may as well give up right now. Hi, this is Gene Aversa. I am the co-host of Talk All Monsters on Waffle Press. Um, we're returning this week with uh, two movies, one classic, one old, as usual. Uh, we have Night of the Demon. Some call it Curse of the Demon, depending on what country you're in. And we have Monster, which came out in 2016. Um, Diego, uh, my co-host, is not here with me this week. Um, kind of uh, couldn't make it, but... I uh, have a good friend of mine, Anthony Pierce, the production designer on many films. We've worked together on a few movies Mm -hmm. and also a set decorator. Um, Anthony, you worked on some monster movies before, um, Atlantic Rim uh, Resurrection, which came out last year. Correct. And we worked on Geodisaster together as well. And I think kind of uh, Jurassic Galaxy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Geo disaster needed more monsters. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, no experience. Uh, yeah, it's funny. We we worked on uh, Geo disaster, but I think I met you on uh, Jurassic Galaxy. So, yeah, 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 definitely. But yeah, no, it's mm-hmm. cool having you on this week. Um, you're a uh, big monster fan yourself. I am. Um, and Anthony, can you tell us a little about some of the uh, you know, creatures you've designed or uh, films you worked on? Sure, sure, sure. Um, well, uh, uh, initially I was a storyboard artist, conceptual artist uh, coming out of comic books, and so I started designing uh, uh, some stuff. I wound up designing um, uh, some of the killing machines and such for uh, for Saw 2 and 3. Uh, mm-hmm. I was in there to, to, to do boards and conceptuals on some of those and created a couple of, uh, of potential murders in there. Um but uh, uh, but uh, monster wise, um, yeah, I've done a a, um, a whole lot. It's something that I I, I really enjoy um, uh, working, you know, in, in prosthetics and casting and stuff. When I get to uh, sometimes it's just to the drawing table, um, uh, sketching out designs for uh, for other people to get the the gooey fun to do. But mm-hmm. um, uh, but I always like getting out there and getting my hands dirty on uh, blood work and and such. Uh, you know, like playing with body parts and everything. Um, of course. <laughs> uh, I um. Uh, let's see. Well, on, uh, um, Atlantic Rim 2, uh, or, or Resurrection, um, uh, most of the monsters in that were CG. There were a couple of practical effects, um, but, uh, but for that, you know, it was mostly CG monsters, CG robots. Um, you know, I prefer getting out there and, and doing, you know, practical aliens and, and stuff like that. Um, yeah. Uh, probably the one, one of the ones that was the, the most fun and the one that I'm the most excited about right now is, uh, we did a, um, uh, well, I'll back it up. Um, I did a horror film called, uh, uh Clown Town, uh, with, uh, um, uh, Andrew Cash and, and John Skip, uh, as, uh, as dual directors on that. And that was a really fun project. And so they recommended me to come on to Tales of Halloween. Which, mm-hmm. uh, which of course now has some some notorious monsters in it, uh, um, including yeah. including Sweet Tooth, um, uh, which is one of the segments that I production designed. I did five of the five of the segments in it, and um, and Sweet Tooth is, was uh, um, it's the first segment of the film. It's one of the last ones that we shot, um, 
but that uh, um, I was working with the director Dave Parker on that, who's a, who's a terrific guy and a really talented director, and um, uh, and it was so great when we were talking about one of the shots that we wanted with the creature, and he turned to me and he says, "I want that Exorcist three shot," and. That happens to be my all-time favorite film. <laughs> so, um, so I knew immediately what shot he was talking about. Without any more conversation, it was the shot in the hallway where the, the killer essentially appears to walk through a solid door. And it's a brilliant shot that is entirely achieved by, by camera angle and just a touch of sound. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet the illusion is so complete and it's a terrifying moment. So he wanted that for, uh, for Sweet Tooth and ultimately we got it through the um, the window from the kitchen to the living room and got essentially the same sort of a, of a feel for that shot. But uh, um, uh, for that creature, we, I, I, um, I designed and created the, uh, uh, for anyone who remembers that film, uh, the Carpenter Bar uh, with, the, uh, with the John Carpenter font from the openings of his films, um, created the packaging and stuff for that so we could drop that right into the front of camera to have, uh, <laughs> have the creature's claws reach out and grab that thing and pull it into the shadows, you know, just that little, little homage to, uh, to John there. Um, but, uh, that's one of the things that I love is, is, um, is hiding little, uh, little touches in there. The, um, uh, a production designer that I worked with, uh, uh, for a while and, uh, and learned quite a bit from, um, uh, was the production designer on big ass spider, uh, with a uh, director, yeah. Mike Mendez, who I also worked with on, on, uh, tales of Halloween. And, um, uh, and he, uh, um, had also, uh, done a film called Growl and, uh, and was really starting to, uh, to emerge as, as a prominent director in horror. Uh, unfortunately we, we lost him unexpectedly. Um, uh, his name was, uh, Scully or Scully in Essex and really, really, uh, talented and sweet, sweet guy. Um, but the man just knew his his creatures, you know, and, uh, uh, you know, and, um, and so we, we, we bonded very, very quickly, but, uh, um, uh, but, uh, sorry, there was a point to that. I was going to, I kind of oh, lost my way. Um, but, uh, um, oh, oh, the, the point being is that, uh, um, I like sneaking in little homages. And so, um, because Scully and I were so close and, uh, and it was just so tragic losing him when we still just needed time to, you know, to, to explore our, our, our filmmaking passions. Um, uh, I have incorporated homages to him in pretty much every, definitely every horror film I've done since. Yeah. Um, but almost all of them. And in fact, in Tales of Halloween, the homage is gigantic because <laughs> in the segment, uh, This Means War, um, about the two battling uh, neighbors with their front yard Halloween displays, uh, one of those displays contains a, um, a massive... Uh, hanging skull and below that all the decoration are the props that I had created for the film that he that he passed while we were prepping so so it was the first time that all of those uh, voodoo zombie props got to uh, got to make an appearance on film they've they've shown up at other stuff since but uh, but on that one I'm like you know Scully didn't get to be here and he had worked with so many of the uh, the people on Tales of Halloween so um so it was kind of a, a big appreciation for everybody who was who was involved, um, but tales led into this one that I'm actually really excited about, which is uh, uh, called "All the Creatures Are Stirring." Um, just as tales was a um, uh, was a lot of was an anthology with a lot of short stories about uh, Halloween, 
uh, all the creatures were stirring is the same sort of horror anthology uh, about Christmas. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we've got aliens and, and demons and, and all kinds of creatures in that one. Um, is, there a, is there a Krampus as well? Um, there's not, and probably only because so many people that we know were in the midst of making Krampus movies. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there, was right. a, there was a glut of them as we started this project. Because um, uh, you can imagine, it's been completed for about a year. It took about two and a half years to do because we were taking time out in between each anthology segment, and plus the, um, uh, the writer-director team of, uh, of Dave and Rebecca McKendry uh, from Blumhouse. Uh, oh, they do the uh, Shockwaves. Yes, podcast, yes right? they do, yes. Yeah. Oh, and okay. uh, Yeah, so they were the writer-directors on that, and, um, and we'd worked together a little bit on Tales of Halloween. Uh, Rebecca was, is so sweet and, was, and really, really helped us out um, on... Uh, um, uh, with uh, prop donations and such for um, for the uh, This Means War segment. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, so she reached out to me afterward and said, you know, we have this... Um, it's kind of funny. She reached out to me. She said, we have this horror film. We want to, you know, uh, talk to you about possibly production designing it. So I go into this meeting, and there are two other people there. And I knew that they were producers, and we were talking about uh, kind of what horror films uh, recent at that time uh, I'd been really impressed with. and um, mm-hmm. And there were two... Uh, that had just really stuck with me because I was just so impressed that they had been low-budget features, but that the stories were so strong. And yeah. one one of those was The Oculus, and the other was a, a film called Absentia. And yeah. I kind of, like, gushed about Absentia because there were a lot of <laughs> things about it that I really, really liked. I liked that uh, um, uh, there's a cop who plays really prominently, and there's not one line of cliché cop dialogue in the entire film. They, they were very smart, very fresh with their script. Um, it also happened to be shot about four blocks from where I used to live, so that was kind of a treat. But, uh, uh, yeah. If, yeah, if you know those creepy tunnels over in Glendale, right by the, fu- right oh, by the 134, yeah, yeah right yeah. over there, yeah. So, um, uh, so that's where it was shot, and I was like, wow, I know that house, you know. Mm. Um, so I was kind of gushing about this thing. What I didn't realize was that, was that the two producers I was, I was interviewing with um, were the producers from Absentia? Oh. I, I had no idea, and uh, and I, That's I ironic. yeah yeah, and uh, and it turned out to work out because uh, uh, you know we wound up like I said spending about two and a half years working on this film. Uh, Dave and Rebecca did take uh, time out in the midst of production to to have their second child, but mm-hmm. uh, um, but Dave kept cranking out the scripts and uh, and we kept prepping segments. We actually shot more segments than are in it. Um, okay. Because uh, there was some stuff that uh, that just narratively, you know, it started to it started to come out a little bit too much comedy and not enough horror, mm-hmm. and so they changed things out a little bit to, to you know they pulled some segments that were a little more on the on the cute side, and uh, and replaced uh, one with a, a a terrific demon segment <laughs> that I'm really uh, <laughs> that uh, was really cool, and that one um, uh, the highlight of that for me was that uh, was that I got to dress. The um, uh, the van, um, that seventies kind of van uh, from Ant Man. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, we shot with that van for that segment, and I was like, "Oh my God, it's the Ant Man van!" You know. <laughs> um, but anyways, the reason I'm so excited about uh, um, all the creatures were stirring is that uh, um, it uh, it just uh, got distribution, and so it's being released. Oh, congrats! Yeah, thank you. It's um. Uh, it's been touring festivals. It's been doing really well. Um, 
uh, with all of its screenings all around the country. And, um, and finally we got, to, uh, somebody to bite for distribution. And so it comes out, uh, December 4th and, um, you know, just in time to scare the crap out of everybody for uh, Christmas. Very cool. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. The, uh, the uh, Christmas uh, horror film genre is uh, quite booming lately. Industry is booming. I actually just got a call. Um, uh, I did a, a, you know, kind of a monster movie. I just did uh, Megalodon. Um, oh, the Asylum. Yes, movie? yes, yes. Which you know, nice. ju- which just screened to. Um, I guess it was the, the like, had the best numbers of the night that it screened. It was like the really? biggest, the biggest yeah. hit that night. Um, Possibly. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, so it was, it was received well, but, uh, um, but on that, I was working with a, uh, uh, with line producer, um, who just called me yesterday about coming on board another film. And his first question was, have you done any Christmas movies? <laughs> and I'm like, well, aside from spending two and a half years in Christmas, um, <laughs> yeah, I do, I do probably one to two a year. Okay. Um, those are usually my summer films cause most Christmas <laughs> movies are shot in June, uh, right. So that they can be all, you know, edited and everything in time for a holiday release, which um, which does make it fun to find Christmas dressing. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's prop houses around. Uh, green sex yeah. is always great for trees and stuff, and, and plenty of prop houses that have things like that. But uh, um, but I have learned over the years to maintain a stock of uh, of uh, seasonal wrapping paper and stuff like that because <laughs> it's always yeah, comes that's to pretty point. smart. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but, uh, yeah, so Christmas horrors, uh, are fun. In fact, just two nights ago, I rewatched, um, uh, the original tales from the crypt, uh, which, um, uh, is still to this day, my favorite Christmas movie. <laughs> yeah. There's a, there's a new one recently, right? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And of course the series and stuff, but, uh, oh, um, yeah. yeah, but, uh, but I'm, I'm a, I'm a fan of the old 71, 71, 72, I think it was. Oh. And, um, yeah, and I uh, I remember actually seeing it uh, uh, in the theater as a kid, and uh, yeah. and it scared the crap out of me because I was, you know, what I, was I like six or seven or something at the time? <laughs> I'm like, you know, I shouldn't have been there, but uh, um, uh, I I I owe a debt to uh, to my sister because mm-hmm. while while we didn't grow up particularly close, we're very close now, but when we didn't grow up uh, particularly close because we were different ages, different friends, all of that. She, when she had to babysit me, she would take me to the local theater because she'd go on dates. So I saw, you know, What's the Matter with Helen and Don't Go in the House and Psycho and Psycho 2 and, uh, you know, just all these films that as a child, as a young child, I probably shouldn't have been watching. But, um, uh, but I'll tell you, like, the first... The first time that like my dad got me an alarm clock so that I could get up for school in the morning, mm-hmm. I laughed because I'm like, this isn't for getting up for school. This is because Beast from 20,000 Fathoms is playing on Channel 5 at 2.35 in the morning, and this is how I'm going to get up to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, on, uh, was it like, uh, on like KBC or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's, I was yeah. living in San Diego, but I, 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 I tap into all the LA channels because they had the best stuff late night. Yeah. Nice. Yes, that was uh, was uh, we usually uh, sometimes we ask this question, to people. But uh, what was uh, your first monster movie that you can remember watching? Um, well, I just uh, I just recently revisited one that kind of might be tied for my first monster movie. They're very very close. 
Um, I just uh, rewatched us uh, with Dirk Benedict, mm-hmm. um, where he uh, is turned into a snake in the process of the film. But I think that just beating that out was probably Humanoids from the Deep. Hmm, I have uh, not seen that one. Actually. Um, I was uh, again a film I shouldn't have been watching at that age because it's nothing but breasts. But um, uh, okay. but I remember it fondly. And, yeah, uh, it seems pretty memorable. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, uh, Humanoids from the Deep. Well, it's all about uh, um, uh, creatures. It, it had a, this is, I think, something that I liked about it uh, even then was that it had kind of a, an, um, uh, like an eco-awareness kind of a, of a theme to it. It was very much about like the pollution in the ocean was creating this, uh, um, this humanoid uh, monster race uh, from beneath the waves and they were coming up onto shore to mate with women, which I'm sure was big in the pitch. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I remember the film fondly. And, and again, that's another one that I revisited recently just because uh, um, they're so good. But lately I've been, I've been gorging on Shudder. So I'm watching all Oh, co- I, I just got that service. I'm trying it out for like a month and see. I'm, I'm that- loving it. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 great. I uh yeah, there's movies I haven't seen that I've seen because of that uh that streaming service. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh uh it's got uh, it's got a great uh, variety um a lot of good older stuff. I'm some stuff I I was surprised to see there. I'm I'm current, uh constantly pleasantly surprised with it. And um and then it's got, you know, the stuff like uh like the Joe Bob Briggs um is really fun cuz I remember when he had his 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 first show and his second show. Um, so it's nice that now he's got his third show on, on Shudder and he's getting to do the, the same kind of a spiel. And it's, it's great cause it, he's kind of like a, like a cross between, um, between like Elvira or MST3K. Um, I was going to say like a Spangoolie or something. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, um, where he, he gets to have this sort of comedic insight about, you know, these films and stuff and, and, and you joke about, you know, how bad some of them are, but at the same time, there's the, when I was a kid on Sunday mornings, they would have, um, like, like two or three hours of like Popeye cartoons and other cartoons, you know, along with them. And the host of that show was a cartoonist named Tom Hatton. And he would draw like ridiculous stuff. Like, like he'd get a squiggle in the mail and he turned it into this great illustration and stuff. But the whole time he was drawing, he'd be talking about, the behind the scenes of how these cartoons were made and who the artists were. And there was so much actual information and nostalgia, which has become my passion. As much as I love film, I'm so much more introduced in, interested in the world of film and the people involved and the lives and, 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 and the, the great stories behind how it's, how it's all come to happen. And, um, and so I love the content, but I, I, you know, but that's always become my passion. And I think Tom had a lot to do with that. I bring it up because Joe Bob Briggs is the same way, where he gives you a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff, a lot of that, uh, uh, you know, sort of a, a BTS nostalgia that, you know, that, that you wouldn't know, uh, otherwise know, and it might not be, you know, lurking on a Wikipedia page. Oh, of course, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, the, just like, uh, it's a little off-tangent, but the uh, the hosts of, like, all those, like, late-night shows are just... Uh, you know, they, they make the, some of the films worth watching as well. So, Oh, absolutely. Yeah. That, yeah. I'm glad they're bringing back that kind of uh, trope to, uh, to late night, I guess. Yeah. 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 But, uh, cool, cool. We'll, uh, definitely check out the, uh, film, mm-hmm. uh, when it gets distribution, I hope to see it. Um, uh, maybe we can have you back on. Yeah, um, absolutely. Let's talk about it. But cool. Uh, let's, uh, get right into it. Um, for night of the demon, 
a little history lesson. I'll just say before we uh, start conversing about it, um, it was directed by Jacques Tunar, who also did Cat People. Mm-hmm. And uh, if listeners haven't seen that, they should def- they definitely should because that's a uh, very cool noir sort of horror film, I would say. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I love the original Cat People. Mm-hmm. And this movie played on a double bill with the Hammer horror film, Team of Frankenstein. Mm. And one last fact here is Ray Harryhausen mm-hmm. was contracted to create the effect scene with the demon, but he was already committed to the seventh voyage of Sinbad. So in some parallel reality, <laughs> there's a Ray Harryhausen night of the demon out there. I would love to see that. Cause, uh, yeah, um, right. Cause while the, while the demon is respectable um, for you know for being a 1957 creature, uh, um, uh, definitely just uh, the detail that uh, that Ray would have gone into, I think, would have made a, a different experience, and mm-hmm. uh, and I would have loved to have seen that. Oh, of course, yeah, yeah. I'm sure he would have uh, knocked it out of the park. Yeah, yeah. Um, so just getting right into it, Anthony. Uh, what do you what are your thoughts on this film? Because I saw this at. For the first time, I rewatched it again for the podcast, but it was on a triple feature Halloween night at the New Beverly three years ago, and it played with Night of the Living Dead and Carnival of Souls. Okay. And I, I really didn't see the connection between all three of those films. <laughs> I was thinking that. <laughs> yeah. It was uh, it was like an all-night horror thing, all-night horror special, I think it was called, and uh, it was a uh, they, – they usually do that. Every year, um, they're doing renovations this year, so I don't think they'll we'll see another one till next year. But um, I don't know. It was a long day, and I kind of went to sleep. I think during Night of the Demon okay. when I first saw it, and rewatching it, I was um, I liked it better than my first watch. I don't know if it was just uh, had a long day or, or what have you, but um, it definitely was better. Um, the uh, I wish the monster was more in it, um, and this is just uh, just my opinion. But it kind of reminded me of I don't know if you ever saw uh, it was probably one of the MS3K films, uh, Monster Gogo. Oh sure, where they don't show the monster at all in right. the movie. Yeah, but uh, yeah, what, what are your what are your thoughts? Do you think it benefits from uh, not showing those? Well, you know I um. Uh, it's funny that you bring that up about the amount that the uh, that the demon is in it because uh, I know that that was a a big point of contention amongst the film's uh, creators that uh, mm-hmm. that the director and the writer uh, wanted to reveal the demon much later and the producer was adamant that we see it essentially in the opening scene. Yeah. Um, and uh, um, and I at the end of the day I don't know that it hurt it. To, to, to see it early, um, uh, I think that it might have benefited from a, a little more mystery. Um, but uh, um, uh, but I was I was so I was very impressed with this film um, that uh, that there was in in terms of of practical magical lore, in terms of applying uh, science to mysticism, uh, in terms of applying psychology. Uh, you know, and uh, psychology of belief, and uh, and uh, and in questioning, you know, what's what's uh, um, uh, what is supernatural and, and yeah. what is illusion and such. I think that it, it went to great lengths um, 
to explore all of that, to, to, um, to embrace the potential of the supernatural, but at the same time contrasting it with, with pragmatism. And, and I honestly don't think that I've seen a project that went that far, uh, to that degree, uh, um, uh, another project like since exorcist, you know, I mean, really, if, if you've read the original book by, uh, by William Blatty, um, I know they explore it quite a bit in the film, but the book especially, uh, um, they exhaust every possible practical alternative before turning like, to the to the concept of the supernatural. Right. It's and just I, nerves. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And yeah. it was something that I really respected about The Exorcist and it's something that I really enjoyed in, uh, in Night of the Demons. So I don't know that... Um, I mean, it's got the, the extra scene in there where he thinks he's, he, where he's attacked by a demon and then the lights come up and there's a cat in the room and, and, uh, you know, the, and the explanation is, oh, it was the cat. He's like, it wasn't the cat. It was a demon, you know? Um, <laughs> right. yeah, but, uh, um, uh, so we get, you know, those little tastes of, uh, of, of demons and monsters and stuff without it being the, the, the big one, um, which the effects were done well on. I mean, it's not. Yeah. I, I, I do enjoy the. The look of the monster, mm -hmm. the design of him is, I think, again, like you said, for the 50s, I, I think that's uh, pretty darn good, mm -hmm. especially considering the, the budget they had. Yeah. Uh, and, um, I mean, if, you, if you're looking at it and if you know how effects are done, um, it's pretty easy to, to see. Well, first off, that creature had to have been fairly large. I mean, what they constructed... Mm -hmm. I'm thinking that they worked almost maybe a one-to-one -one scale with what with the intention of the size of this beast, because if you look at the legs, and you look carefully, um, it's clear that the creature is mounted and that the wheels right. are yeah. are propelling the uh, the leg motions, um, you know. And it wasn't a, um, and again, not a not a bad design. Um, I know that I was working on a design a few years ago for a chupacabra film, and. Um, uh, and the, the director and I were talking about how to achieve the look of this creature. And, um, uh, and I did one draft that had kind of a muzzle and, and teeth sort of animal, uh, kind of a face. And, uh, and he came back with the perfect response, which was as soon as you get into something like that, you're talking about an awful lot of muscles moving uh -huh. and, um, you know, and that, that becomes a very, um, complex and expensive endeavor. And I think that we see a good example of that in the demon, in Night of the Demon, that uh, um, that it does have that type of a muzzle, and and ultimately, I think it, if there's anything in the design of the demon that hurts its credibility a little bit, it's the stiffness of that. But that's incredibly hard to achieve, especially yes. on a budget. Yeah, no, consider yeah, considering uh, you know 1957. Um, yeah, yeah, but um, the yeah the mount is you know fairly noticeable. Uh -huh. I wish they didn't use that white shot, but yeah. no, 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 you know, the, like the, how the, the face looks, it's just, mm -hmm. uh, it has a, has kind of a, like, I would say like a werewolf looking design and that's, uh, yeah. that's pretty cool. Yeah. You know, you don't see too many, uh, monsters with, uh, like such a, uh, such a ferocious muzzle and, uh, hairy as well. Yeah. Yeah. In, in some sense it was, it was almost... I mean, it was 57, and yet it was almost akin to Rick Baker's work on American Werewolf. Mm -hmm. 
you know? And, yeah, yeah. Maybe, yeah. Uh, I don't know if Rick Baker ever talked about the, uh, the design for American Werewolf in London. Do you think mm-hmm. that was uh, maybe partially inspired? I could, I could see that. I mean, certainly, you know, uh, Rick's work is, is, is more advanced, uh, but, uh, um, but I, I can't fault the designer on the, on the, the execution of this creature, given the time and their resources. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to figure, you know, that, uh, um, uh, that a lot of um, uh, the methods that we use for animatronics, um, we don't, uh, um, you know, we're, we're not at all available, didn't exist in any form. And so I have to assume that um, uh, it looks like a lot of, a lot of what's achieved, I mean, Rick uses this a lot. Um, you see this uh, in a lot of the, um, not so much in the, somewhat in the facial transformations in American Werewolf, but definitely in the, um, in the back and in the hands and stuff, is the air bladder technique. You know, oh. as, yeah. Wait, uh, can you elaborate on that? Yeah, sure. Um, uh, for a lot of times when we're trying to get that that illusion of of um, of movement under the skin, whether it's the idea that there's a creature living inside you, or the idea that your body is transforming, um, uh, when we create the uh, 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 the prosthetics um, underneath that skin layer, we'll do uh, you know possibly like a series of air bladders. And, uh, and, and those are essentially like, you know, like tiny whoopee cushions, uh, <laughs> that, uh, that we're running, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, pneumatic pressure through so that air is, 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 uh, expanding those, those bladders. We make them fairly small and place them in ways where it feels like maybe that's where the muscle lived, uh, mm-hmm. or maybe this is where the bone is extruding or whatever, you know, if you just yeah. want that effect. Ideally, like an, uh, oh, go ahead. an illusion of, uh, of movement. Yeah, yeah, something below the surface. Uh, ideally, for the best effect, you want to work with really tight edits on that, where um, where you're not necessarily seeing the bladder expand and contract in the same shot, because when you do, you're getting the sense of what's underneath that surface. You're getting the sense of you know, especially you don't want to see it expand twice in the shot, because yeah. then it's like, okay, well, that's just the thing you're pumping air into, mm-hmm. um, and that was one of the um, uh, I, I don't want to talk about flaws in American world because it's a brilliant film. Um, uh, but it's also, I mean, it's, it's got like Shaun of the dead was a perfect marriage of comedy and horror. And as fantastic as American werewolf is, I always felt that it was a little bit of an uncomfortable marriage of the two. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, a little, a little, uh, uh, less even. So it's, you know, it's, it's got its flaws, but, but my God, it's a classic and there's so oh, much, yeah. so much good yeah. in it. It still holds up, I think. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Years later. Yeah. Um, so, uh, uh, um, so my my point of bringing all that up was that uh, um, uh, that it looks from the face in Night of the Demon, uh, face of the demon, that uh, um, uh, that they were probably using uh, some air bladders in there, or at least uh, um, um, uh, you know some some pneumatic pressure, and and probably just uh, um, uh, like gears gears and lever kind of a of a of a getup. That, uh, yeah. yeah, um, you know, some fairly simple, uh, uh, construction, um, you want to see really great, uh, 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 use of pneumatics, uh, um, look at, uh, and here's a film that really holds up over time is John Carpenter's The Thing. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, especially the, uh, um, uh, the segment in, um, uh, uh, in the dog kennel, uh, with that transformation there's a lot of air work in there. I mean, that's, that's how they got all those tendrils flying all over the place and such is that's, that's all pneumatic pressure. Um, 
I've worked with pneumatic pressure uh, units quite a bit. I did. Uh, uh, I built uh, sharks for Discovery Channel um, for them to be able to reenact attacks that had actually happened. We were, we were shooting a bunch of, of true attacks that had happened off of the uh, uh, Calif- California and, and Baja Mexico coastline. And um, uh, and since we're recreating, you know, actual attacks, well, you can't, you know, use a real shark for that and an actor. So um, so we had to to build um, two. Great white sharks and two bull sharks, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and operate those in the water, and uh, because as we all learned from Bruce, the shark in Jaws, um, yeah, the infamous Bruce, yes, uh, and we visited Bruce, um, uh, the remains of Bruce, uh, mm-hmm. and um, uh, and a couple other uh, you know versions of, of Jaws and stuff. We we stopped uh, by a few yards and, and checked out some of those as we were studying how we wanted to, to execute our, our, um, our builds. And, um, as we learned from Bruce, you know, uh, uh mechanics and water do not mix. And so everything, um, all, uh, uh, everything for our sharks was all operated pneumatically. There were all hoses coming down, um, uh, up into the underbelly and into the, the chassis that we built, mm-hmm. uh, which was all segmented and, uh, with a Lexan spine so that the shark could move naturally and I'll tell you one of the um, one of the proudest moments I've ever had was um, uh, the first time our, our our great white was named Carrie and our our um, our bull shark was named Luke, and um, mm-hmm. and which most people think is a Star Wars reference, but it's actually a reference to the the uh, the Latin terms for those two breeds. But um, uh, the first time that we put Carrie in an Olympic sized swimming pool, pumped air through her, and she self motivated. She swam. Oh. That was like watching your baby take its first steps. <laughs> that was amazing. <laughs> oh, I could, yeah, I could, yeah, I would, yeah. The uh, the uh, creature designer equivalent of that. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Yeah. Um, uh, um, go ahead. And uh, I was just going to add, um, you know, again, we keep uh, going back to the uh, probably the push rig that it had. Uh huh. Yeah. And I could imagine you know, like a couple of PAs yeah, that yeah. they had. <laughs> Probably in the 50s, like mm-hmm. uh, the director yelling at them to pull it back and then push it and then get off of screen and hide and yeah, I, you I know, between takes, I, you know, that's just uh, yeah, I, just, uh, I think that would have been the funniest thing. No, I, I kind yeah. of had the same impression about the way that it was that it was working and um, uh, and I actually I pictured something similar. I pictured the um, uh, I kept hearing in my head the squeak of the um. Uh, of the Trojan bunny in, uh, in Holy Grail, you know, it was, I kept imagining those wheels, you know, <laughs> um, uh, but the one thing that I do have to really commend them on in terms of the effect of the demon was the super imposition of the smoke effect. Mm-hmm. I thought that that, that the, when they reversed it for the smoke to like disappear into, into nothing. And, and, and when they, uh, um, you know, just like disappear into like a vacuum in the sky, when they, when they, uh, um, when they ran it to, uh, um, to really, uh, uh, flank and frame the demons manifestations and stuff, they made some really, really smart effects, uh, um, or choices, I should say smart choices with those smoke effects. And, uh, yeah, that know. was a very interesting effect that yeah. added, you know, that added to the look of that monster and the, mm-hmm. uh, kind of its personality as well. Yeah. It kind of made me think of, um, of Nightcrawler from the X-Men and, <laughs> and yeah. And, and how the, okay. um, 
yeah, how the uh, um, how that Banff smoke that appears uh, is explained as being part of the the atmosphere of the dimension that he's crossing through, escaping when that portal opens. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I kind of got that same sense that you know that the smoke was kind of seeping in because this this gateway was being opened, which is what I think makes it maybe not so logical, but supernaturally creepy that the smoke actually recedes with it as well. Oh yeah. Of yeah. Course. yeah. You know, it's like, cause why, yeah. why should the physics of that dimension work the same as ours? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. But anything, anything else to be said for night of the demon before we move on? I think? Um, the only thing I'll say is that I will, I'm going to go back and watch it again and probably repeatedly because, um, uh, I mean, I'd seen it years and years ago, but, uh, mm-hmm. um, but it was, I was really, I really enjoyed revisiting it. And, um, uh, and my own magical practices and studies are so much more advanced now than they were when I first saw the film that there are new levels that I can appreciate it on. And honestly, in some respects, I mean, when I first saw um, uh, The Ninth Gate, um, I loved it because for two reasons. One was, I'm like, you know what? I've always loved that idea of the story that would surround a magical tome. You know, the power in this book and and the, the struggles around it and the content of it. And I always wanted that story to be told. And it was a script that I considered writing, but I never found my story. So I was so happy that someone had done it and on top of that, so happy that it had been one of my favorite directors who achieved it and achieved it well. And I bring that up because um, this is in many ways a similar story. I mean, the, the uh, Night of the Demon really does revolve uh, uh, to a great degree around arcane, uh, arcane uh, texts and, and these books and parchments and things that, uh, that have power. And they have power not only on a supernatural basis, but they have power in terms of, uh, um, of uh, uh, the psychological impact that they have on the people who believe in that power, you know, real or not. And yeah. Yeah. You know, I enjoyed the, um, uh, there's a one scene where he goes to that, uh, that little uh, uh, hut out in the village and everyone there is kind of simple country folk who absolutely believe in, in this horror and in this, and in the power and, and they're terrified to even have in there. And, uh, it's that same kind of mass hysteria sort of a thing as we saw once again, American world of London, as we yeah. saw in the, uh, in the, um, uh, in the pub, you know? Um, so I really, I liked that that was a, that was a nice touch. I, I feel in many ways that the film was way, way, way ahead of its time. And, uh, yeah. and I'll go, I'll go back to explore it some more. Oh yeah, of course. Uh, you know, it, it has a great gothic horror imagery to it. Mm-hmm. Um, all the occult elements of it are, yeah, just mm-hmm. surprisingly good for the fifties. I'll yeah. admit it for that, even though I fell asleep watching yeah. it. <laughs> I, I did as well the the first time revisiting it. Um, uh, you know, just because I, I lead a, a crazy hectic lifestyle and I fall asleep during everything, but <laughs> um, uh, but I was definitely I was inspired not just because of the podcast, but to go back and I, I um. Uh, I just, I, you know, kept rework, we kept working my way through because, uh, um, I was so engrossed every time I sat down and then it was like, God, I'm being pulled away. And so I really want to go back and just immerse myself and experience the whole thing in one shot. Yeah. That's it. That's 
that ends our uh, segment on Night of the Demon, and the double bill here is with a movie that came out two years ago. Uh, it's called The Monster. It's uh, streaming on Amazon Prime right now, so if you want to see it, um, you, could, you could see it through there. Um, and it was directed by Brian Berentino, who did The uh, Strangers, as I, was, hmm. as I was looking it up. Looking him up, and I believe he did uh, the Strangers Pray at Night as well. But um, the monster, I, I didn't see this. Um, I didn't see this uh, originally when it came out, probably because it came out um, uh, three days after the election. Oh, okay. November 11th. So I think uh, everything was a black hole at that point. Sure. Yeah, but um, yeah, this was on Amazon Prime. Uh, I had this on the queue for the longest time. And I was considering it, um, I was considering, uh, putting this on the show and, um, you know, with, uh, for your, for your, uh, for your episode, I, you know, decided to, cause it's, uh, I think we, um, the, uh, this is very close to, um, I would say a little bit like Night of the Demon where it's, uh, you know, it's one monster, it's, uh, a monster that, that you that they kind of tease throughout the movie. Mm-hmm. So it's a little similar, I would say. Definitely. And, no, I, I thought it was, it was a good pairing. Yeah. And Anthony, the, uh, the monster here, you know, obviously this is like 60 years later, but what, what did you think of the design? Okay. Um, I, uh, uh, I liked it. I felt like, um, uh, In looking at it, I I felt like there was there was opportunity with, um, uh, with the head more than anything, the mm. the body, um, it's it's kind of, it structurally it's kind of frog like, um, uh, it, yeah. it's kind of like you know just sort of a, it's, it what it really okay, when I'm looking at monsters like this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the first thing I'm, I'm, I'm looking at is, okay, how did they achieve that? Is, you know, yeah. is this, um, you know, like an extra where the, where the, uh, uh, the stunt person was walking, um, um, uh, on their, um, uh, on their back, you know, with the, you know, they were basically, they were upside down, almost like the, the, the spider walk of, of the exorcist re-edit, um, mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, um, and stuff like that, where I'm looking at, okay, it, how did they get a person in that and still give us. Uh, a form that uh, that looks monstrous, that looks alien, or whatever, and um, uh, and in this case, I looked at at this monster and and I thought, God, okay, the the head is so kind of almost sleek and featureless mm-hmm. that I feel like, you know, it, it just uh, there was it felt a little a little bland, like there was opportunity there to to, to make yeah. it more more menacing, and then body structure wise. I'm like, well, this is just a kind of a cheap, a cheap version of, um, uh, of, uh, in Hellboy, the, um, uh, what's it called? Um, uh, Samael. Uh, yeah. 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 It does, the, in terms it does of have the, some elements of that design. It does because it's the hunched over form. It's clear that there are arm stilts extending the arms, um, to give it this sort of, you know, uh, a monstrous look. But ultimately, I'm looking at the structure and I'm going, okay, this has been done and it's been done better. Mm-hmm. And, um, 
you know, and so, you know, like I said, there were, there was opportunity there. I don't think that the, that the monster is bad. Um, but I do think that it, it definitely could have been improved on. Yeah. It's an, you know, honest critique of that. I, I kind mm-hmm. of felt it looked, it reminded me of two things. It reminded me of, uh, the predator dogs. Yeah. Uh huh. Predators mm-hmm. in its body and its structure, but also it's, uh, it's face reminded me of venom. Mm-hmm. I don't know if, if you uh, if you could see that resemblance. Oh sure, yeah, yeah. And and a lot of that I think uh, goes back to the fact that they're just that it was that it was a little too sleek, you know, and and just with the um, you know, the 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 eye placement and the kind of just featurelessness of of, of the face, you kind of do go back to something like uh, uh like Venom, where it's like okay, it's a big mouth and it's you know. And it, you know, eyes and there's not a whole lot else going on. Um, and in fact, um, when I'm designing a creature, I'm really looking at, at the story, you know, the narrative and, and cause, cause ultimately, and I, and I hope everyone listening knows this, <laughs> um, uh, that no matter what we create, whether it's, it's a script or a film set or, or, or a creature or a prop or whatever, it is all about the story because if it's not that thing, then why isn't it something else? If it's not a story because you're in a cave, then why aren't you in a spaceship? You know, it's, you know, it's, it's your rationale always has to stem from the narrative. And with that in mind, you know, the, the fact that, that light sensitivity is a plot point in monster. Mm-hmm. I feel like the um, uh, like the creature design didn't support that. Yeah, like why why is it afraid of the dark? Is it or excuse yeah. me, why is it afraid of uh, a fire or a bright bright light? A bright light, yeah. Like a cave dweller. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we of, have yeah. yeah, we have no <clears throat> we have no sense of history or origin to the creature, which is fine. You don't always need yeah. that. But you don't, you don't need that. Yeah, but for it to. Um, you know, we should have seen, um, first off, it should have had maybe larger eyes to, um, uh, to give us that sense of, uh, um, uh, you know, that it's okay. Well, if it's going to, if it, if it, if it's, if it's a creature that attacks in the dark, um, you know, and it's got these, you know, these big eyes, maybe it lives, you know, in caves or whatever and stuff. Yeah. It's going to be photosensitive. And so, um, uh, you know, so a design that would reflect that and lend to, you know, to the credibility of why a flashlight would drive this thing away. <laughs> um, you know, I think, I think a lot of that could have, you know, should have been taken into account better in the design. Uh, and because ultimately it would have served the story. It would have, it would have, you know, helped us to make a connection about understanding the creature more and making the connection that, Oh, it's the flashlight. Because honestly, if I hadn't read a synopsis before, it would have taken me a while maybe to make that connection because it wasn't that strongly placed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just yeah that that was just one of the things that oh yeah also just bugged me about about the movie and mm-hmm. yeah I just wish you know they could have uh, it, it could have been like some sort of uh, some sort of quick thing where it's just uh, you see it emerging from mm-hmm. I don't know a cave or, or something like that that would have uh, supported its uh, its weakness and everything sure sure yeah yeah I think a, a little bit of something would have, that would help there. Would not have gone amiss. I don't think that, that the film necessarily suffered 
without it, but it, but it, uh, um, but it was a missed opportunity to strengthen it. Yeah, no, yeah. of course. And uh, the movie itself, I, I felt it. Um, I think it was a. a uh, I would I would give it like a three stars. It was a decent watch. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I appreciated the character character stuff. Mm-hmm. Excuse me, the characters in the movie. You know, it, it's a monster movie, but it's like um, it seems like a a bit of a uh, allegory, I guess. For uh, I guess, like people could be monsters as well. Sure. Um, yeah. You know, the mom's the mom's abusive, and uh, mm-hmm. um, you know, you see it from the girl's perspective. Uh, what, what were your thoughts on the film? Um, well, when it comes to the characters, and I'm glad that you bring that up because I do think uh, that. Uh, um, um, and, I, and and correct me if I'm wrong, if you if you recall, but I think at one point the the daughter calls the mom a monster. I think that she says that you know you're a monster, and uh, um, uh, and I do I agree with that assessment that uh, um, you know I love that we that we open the film with this uh, um, uh, with this animosity between mother and daughter. You know, I mean they're you know, they're, 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 they're screaming at each other. And, uh, um, uh, and all of these conflicts between them are absolutely relatable. It doesn't feel that anything that's, that's contrived, like, Oh, how do we, how do we sell this in a scene? No, there's, this is a genuine interaction that people have. And, uh, and so I like that there was a, a believability to this relationship and it's a relationship that we haven't seen a million times. I think in that respect, it was very fresh. Yeah, of course, like a mother-daughter sort of, uh, you know, story is hardly, I don't think, seen in monster movies or horror. So, well, yeah. yeah, but I think uh, especially um, um, uh, a mother and daughter who are so at odds. I mean, this is a young girl, and mm-hmm. uh, um, uh, and I do think, first off, both performances were fantastic. Um, uh, the girl especially, I think... Uh, um, uh, had to, they both had to show a range of emotions. Both characters had, uh, an extensive arc and, uh, and I thought that they pulled those off. If I had any issue with any of the character development, it was just that, uh, um, uh, you know how in, in horror films, we are frequently frustrated with characters because they make stupid decisions or, of course, or you know, yeah. and, and that kind of thing. And often, they're, um, they're, those stupid decisions are plot convenient. You know, mm-hmm. it's just, it's just, okay, how do we get them separated so the creature can kill them? Well, they'll do something stupid, you know? <laughs> um, yeah. but in this case, um, uh, it wasn't so much that they were doing stupid things or it's that these characters were not equipped to, to make smart decisions. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they weren't, you know, they, they were still, um, so wrapped in their own drama and, and ultimately I, it was frustrating for me, but at the same time, I really respected that they didn't suddenly like snap into a functional unit because survival was on the line, you know, that, uh, um, that they continued to struggle with their communication and continued mm-hmm. to struggle with their trust of each other. And that that doesn't didn't suddenly like you know oh my god there's a monster here so so we're gonna be you know we're gonna be tight and we're gonna love each other and all that that came to some degree 
but um, but I really I, I liked that they they continued to be just dysfunctional because they were dysfunctional people. You yeah, know? they you know they they don't instantly snap out of it. They're just uh, there's you know they're still pretty strained as they're going through this crisis, and that's very evident of uh, probably how maybe most people would be as well. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And while it's frustrating as a viewer. Um, at the same time, it was, uh, I really appreciated that I wasn't seeing the same movie, uh, that I've seen a million times. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think it was, uh, very, it was decently done. Um, and as a whole, uh, you know, been performance since we're showing, I just, uh, just wish the, uh, monster elements would have, uh, just been a little bit stronger. Yeah, you know, if you're going to name your movie after the monster, it really should uh, it really should uh, hold up. Um, I do know that they they changed the title, and I think, God, what was it? Um, oh, it was called "They Are Monsters." There are monsters, which I, I actually like better. Yeah, um, you know, considering it's a better title. It is. It is. Um, uh, I think they should have stuck with that um, because the monster is, you know, I mean that term can be applied to, to so much, you know, it was, it's to, to the story of Eileen Wernos, the serial killer and, you know, and, uh, uh, you know, or to the alien invaders in Mexico in monsters. I mean, it just, it's so, you know, it, it's, it's kind of so innocuous and it just really yeah. doesn't help you, but you know, but there are monsters. There's a, yeah, there's a, there's a, something to that. You're right. Some producer must have uh, must have said something, and then that caused everyone to change something. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. We'll we'll always we'll we'll blame the bad choices on producers. Yeah, yeah. Of course, it's a safe bet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're gonna you know working in movies and so on. Yeah. <laughs> um, but anything else to uh, anything else to say about this film? I, you know, I think I I, I compressed my thoughts about it. Yeah, I know. I think that's a. Uh, um, uh, I see, I, I'm trying to recall now there was a, there was some MacGuffin in it that I thought was, um, uh, was kind of obvious and didn't necessarily work. Um, but I can't remember what it was now. Um, but, uh, but MacGuffins are, are notorious that way, you know, yeah. I mean, you kind of the moment that you realize that that's what you're seeing you know, then it becomes this, oh, that's going to come into play later and stuff. And so, right. yeah. Very convenient. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's tough to, um, even even the best films can have, um, uh, can struggle with having a MacGuffin. Um, uh, I know, and this is a little off topic, but the, uh, 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 in A Few Good Men, which is almost a perfect script because Aaron Sorkin is brilliant. Um, mm. But there's the, there's the one moment in the film where I just groan. Because you, you should you should never yeah. see you should never see the writer's hand. You should never know that that moment is happening because the writer wrote themselves into a corner and this is how they're getting out of it. And yeah. there's the moment where Tom Cruise um, uh, suddenly needs his baseball bat and he goes into the closet, which is of course where he sees the clothes and he makes the connection that the guy hadn't packed and blah blah blah. And the thing is, is that not only was it really forced with the baseball bat, but it was unnecessary because he'd already been walking. We already knew that it was raining. He was already, if you know, if, if there were a million reasons to get him into that closet, 
without the baseball bat. Right. And so it was, yeah, yeah. And so it was one of those moments where it's like, wow, your MacGuffin just really bit you in the ass. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, um, yeah. If I, I'll maybe watch it again and uh, I'll look for the, uh, the MacGuffin. Yeah, it's, it's, it's some. I feel like it's some like memorabilia with the daughter or something. But no, it, yeah, yeah. Cool, cool. But uh, yeah, that was uh, yeah. it. Was a uh, you know for you know uh, a monster film you know made on an A twenty four budget. Budget. I think mm-hmm. they did a good job. Um, but uh, Anthony, this uh, brings us down to uh, final moments here on the show. Okay. Um, thank you so much for joining us. Of course, I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Yeah, no, of course, it's always, uh, you know, we ended up working on uh, so many projects. It's always cool talking with you, conversing. Likewise. All that. Yeah, it's like a regular conversation. Yeah, we need to catch up on, uh, I'm sorry we didn't get to connect at Comic-Con. I know that the schedules, oh. schedules were crazy. I was being pulled in a million directions because that's, it's my hometown and family and friends on top of all the Comic-Con stuff was just nuts. But uh, but definitely, yeah, we need to, uh, to, to connect. We got comic book stuff and horror stuff and everything else to catch up on. Yeah, and that's you know that's Comic Con for you. But um, Anthony, is there any place uh, people could find you at? Do you have like a website or anything? Uh, um, yeah, I mean, there's there are samples of my um, of everything from uh, from my comic book art and conceptual designs to film sets and uh, and props and stuff like that. Um, on um, on Gothic Graphics at uh, uh, um, on the Deviant Art page for Gothic Graphics. Um, cool. Which uh, um, which I should spell that because Gothic Graphics um, <laughs> is uh, is spelled a little funky because there's meant to be apostrophes in there which there aren't in a URL, but uh, right. um, uh, but it is uh, uh, G O T H K G R A F X, and uh, and so if you um, uh, just go to deviantart.com, look up Gothic Graphics, and uh, you'll see. Um, in fact, if you just type in Gothic Graphics, it's the first thing that comes up in Google. Nice. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. So there's all kinds of samples. Feel free to peruse, you know, all the, the galleries and folders and stuff. There's a ton of stuff up there and I'm always putting more. I'm usually about a year behind at any given time of getting material up, uh, um, from various projects. And some of that just has to do with NDAs. It just has to do with, um, with clearance for those films where I have to wait until they're completed or released. And, Mm. um, and some films come out within a couple of months and some literally take you know, like two to three years or something. So, uh, uh, so there's there's always new stuff going up on the page, and um, uh, and yeah, feel free to to check it out. Definitely, definitely. I, you know, I enjoy your art. Um, I think you still owe me a predator. I do owe you a predator, and I'm glad that you brought that up because because uh, okay. the box of my old predator pages uh-huh. just resurfaced. Uh, and I was moving things around today, and I actually thought about, oh, cool, I have my stuff, I can go back and look at it and do a fresh Predator for you. Oh, nice, very cool. Yeah. Yeah, just in time for the movie. <laughs> yeah, right? Mm-hmm. Awesome. So thank you for that reminder. I will definitely do a Predator for you very soon. Definitely, definitely. And cool. And, uh, you know, thanks, everyone, for listening. Um, this has been Waffle Press Podcast. We've been professionally unprofessional. Uh, follow <laughs> us on Twitter and like and share facebook and check out our patreon there's a lot of cool rewards this show comes up first on the patreon page and then gets published so definitely check it out and thanks for listening
Thank you.